GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, St. Vincent and the Grenadines is president of the Security Council in November, and it's the smallest country to ever do so in the history of the United Nations. We talked to Ambassador Rhonda King and the Caribbean expert Jacqueline Braveboard Wagner about the significance of having this small island nation on the council for the country, the UN, and the region. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. We wanted to have our signature breakfast. We had it all planned and we were going to have it at the Kimberley, socially distanced rooftop, but then we had the outbreak. Presiding over the Security Council is always unpredictable. But during the COVID-19 pandemic, it requires more flexibility than ever. With the news that five members from Niger's mission to the UN recently tested positive for COVID-19, Ambassador Rhonda King had to change her plans for November and move some planned in-person meetings online. But that's just one small inconvenience for the small island nation, which is actually several islands. Located in the heart of the Caribbean, not too far from Venezuela, San Vincent and the Grenadines is the smallest country to ever sit on the council and, needless to say, to preside over it. It has a population of 110,000 people. That's the equivalent of the U.S. Virgin Islands, and its population is of both African and indigenous descent. Here's how Ambassador Rhonda King, quoting her Prime Minister Ralf Gonzalez, who is of Portuguese descent, describes it. We believe the Caribbean, metaphorically speaking, comprise the songs of the Caribs, our indigenous people, the rhythm of Africa, the chords of Asia, the melody of Europe, and the lyrics of the Caribbean itself. It is that uniquely blended psyche that informs our foreign policy, the audacity, as it were, and the hope of um, making a small contribution, because we believe that we are the first experiment in globalization. Its election on the council was historic not just for St. Vincent, but also for other small countries at the UN. The island nation intends to raise the voice of its peers in the world body. For the small state, there is no daylight between self-interest 
and international law. We depend on a robust body of international law for our existence. We have no standing army. We have no geopolitical access to grind. And upkeeping international law is of critical importance. So I think that what the small state does is to forever remind the bigger countries of the importance of not only upholding international law, but the obligations under that law. So it's like holding the moral compass. Jacqueline Braveboy Wagner is a professor at the City College of New York and at the City University of New York, specializing in the Caribbean region and CARICOM, the regional organization representing Caribbean countries and territories. She believes St. Vincent's presence on the council was a surprise, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines' Prime Minister, Ralph Gonzalez's leadership has to be accounted for. I wrote a, my last book on CARICOM diplomacy in 2007, and St. Vincent would not have been the country, right, that I would have thought would be that promotive at the United Nations. There were lots of absences, a lot of difficulties for them in getting positions and so on at the UN. So I think a leap has occurred since, let's say, about 2010, right, to now. And that leap is, I think, something which came from the top, because these small countries, you know, it's what comes from the top. And uh, Ralph Gonzalez, I think, just decided that St. Vincent needed to be a little more out there and within 10 years was able to accomplish something which is tremendously significant. Now, for St. Vincent, how significant it is. I think it's extremely significant at the leadership level. When small countries join the Security Council, they adopt different strategies to amplify their own voices or build strong relationships with world powers. Or they do both. St. Vincent's strategy has been to align itself with the three other African elected members currently on the council, South Africa, Niger, and Tunisia, and form what is now called the A3 plus one. The A3 plus one has raised the voice of Africa and the Caribbean in the council to an impressive effect, especially considering the strong alliances of European countries in the council. When we were campaigning, We always said that we would essentially be like the fourth seat for Africa. Why is that? We are a predominantly Black state. We are descendants of both the African slaves and indigenous people. So we are considered by the African continent to be part of the sixth region of Africa. My prime minister is a pan-Africanist and an ardent supporter of the, not the liberation of Africa, but to see Africa become what Africa should be. During the first or second week of our tenure on the council, Niger was delivering a statement on behalf of the A3. Now, in the council, based on the current um, composition, South Africa sits near to St. Vincent, then you have the Russian Federation, and then you have Niger. So at the time, the four of us were in the council, in the horseshoe, and Niger was at the end of the horseshoe. And they delivered a magnificent statement, and I don't remember now what was the issue. And I listened intently, and I said to my PC, I said, I want to align with that statement. 
you know, we had our own statement, but I want to align with it. And then I reached across to South Africa and I said, is there any method in here? Because this was still the first or second week that I'm here. Could I just align? She said, yes, you just say align with it. So she was happy. And then Isis said, okay, let me go and tell Niger that you will align with them. And he was, he was pleased. So when I took the floor and did the pleasantry, then I aligned with the statement as delivered and I continued to speak. At the end of that meeting, I reached out to Niger, Ambassador Abare, and I told him, I said, you know our position, you know our policies, I've recited them many times. And um, I wonder if we could perhaps join with an A3 statement when A3 is making one, because we believe that when African speaks, we listen. And on that day, the A3 plus one formula was born. And we have been coordinating on specific African files. Now, there are times when even though we may coordinate, we may go separately because South Africa's minister may want to have a particular South African perspective. And so we will go our separate ways for that. When it comes to the permanent five members, St. Vincent and the Grenadines has a peculiar and quite independent foreign policy. Here's Jacqueline Brave Boy Wagner. You know, I honestly think that one of the reasons that Vincent got on was because they are, as a foreign policy person, I am going to say that diplomacy to me is a bit confusing. And it may be deliberately so in the sense that, yeah, you have a country. I have always been a bit puzzled as to why the country still keeps Taiwan as their representative of China. I'm not confused by it in that I know it's a matter of buying hearts. Who buys your heart? And it helps if there are people at this moment in time when the United States is, China is their big focus. It helps, okay? I wouldn't say they're particularly pro-Russia, although their stance on Venezuela might make them seem that they are. They are not particularly happy with the colonial power, the United Kingdom, you know, and so on, even though much of their trade and so on relations are still with the UK and with Europe. They're not big on France. So I think as far as the permanent members are concerned, St. Vincent could go anyway. It's not like, okay, I am loyal to the US, right, or to to the Western group. If anything, I, I think that's the whole point. St. Vincent is kind of like, where, where exactly are you standing on all of these matters. Ambassador King doesn't deny that her country's foreign policy can be a bit confusing. We are part of the Americas. We have a unique relationship with each member. The UK, we are former colonies of Britain. So we have fundamental ties that are unshakable. But our foreign policy is homegrown. We consider the United States a very strong ally, especially in in the water security issues. Again, but our foreign policy is an independent one, and it is difficult to pin it down. So, for instance, some people will think that we, we say things that seem to resonate with China, but we do not have diplomatic relations with China because we recognize Taiwan. The prime minister is a very special man in the Caribbean and an intellectual. 
he's an, a political activist and an intellectual and a quintessential Caribbean man. So he is a regionalist, an integrationist of the region, you know, so he thinks in terms of the Caribbean and what is in its best interest. So he is crafting the foundation of that sort of independence. It means a lot to him. So it's difficult to pin him down, but make no mistake, we consider the UK, France, the United States to be extremely strong allies. And you see that in different ways. So we may challenge them on the periphery of some issues, you know, human rights being one of them, but we have a healthy relationship with the EU, a healthy relationship with Russia and with China on the council. They believe in the nexus between peace, security and development, for instance, and that's a priority for us. So you will find that we will have similar talking points on the council. We are still able to work with all the P5. We have a healthy respect and I think a good relationship with all. Although St. Vincent and the Grenadines seems to have a principled but non-aligned foreign policy, it does have topics it wants to prioritize during its presidency in November. These include development, Palestine, and Yemen. The prime minister will remotely brief the press on Monday for the beginning of the month, and he will address the council a few days after, during the regular monthly meeting on Palestine. Given that we have a little flexibility to be picking some of the briefers and so on, we will try to highlight contemporary drivers of conflict, which is, in fact, our signature event. So it's at the beginning, it sort of sets the stage, and then we pull strands of that. It's going to be under the agenda item, peace building and sustaining peace, contemporary drivers of conflict and insecurity. Then we have looked at a few agenda items where we can pull these strands into. For instance, the UN Police Week is in the first week of our presidency. And on Wednesday, they will have a briefing for the United Nations peacekeeping operation. Police commissioners will brief us. And we have encouraged them now to include Benu, the Haitian police commissioner for Benu, because they are struggling with capacity building. We are also interested in Yemen, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines is also very interested in Palestine. So it's coming on the heels of the general election in the United States. It will be the first meeting that comes, and we're going to try to get a briefer that can start grappling with whatever the outcome is. But it will come ahead of Tunisia's presidency, where... I know Abbas is trying to have an international conference. So we are gearing up to that. So we see that as a building block because we are an ardent supporter of a two-state solution. Not only does St. Vincent and the Grenadines have an unconventional foreign policy, but it also has an unconventional permanent representative. Rhonda King was appointed as ambassador to the UN in 2013, and she came mostly from the business world. But she also was an English teacher in China and has a degree in mathematics and is a writer. After she was diagnosed with breast cancer, her vision of life changed. In 2003, she wrote a book and decided she wanted to help. When I learned that the biopsy was cancerous, 
and that they were going to propose mastectomy. And I was not yet 40 and in essence, provide me with a cure. When I got to my car, I had this peculiar feeling. I knew what it meant. And over time, what came to me is that I, I, I really didn't like the field. I never did like accounting. And I'm a problem solver by nature. A year later, I decided that I would pursue writing for a while. And I ended up in China teaching English for a while and writing. And then in St. Vincent, this current government got to know about me because they would start asking me to do different assignments, project writing. And then when the government recognized what my skills were, they became increasingly aware of me. I was invited to be the honorary consul for Portugal. I was also asked to chair the investment promotion agency in the country, drawing on my financial and accounting background. And then one day, the prime minister called again because he has asked repeatedly for me to join the government. One of the things they floated around to be, you know, the accountant general. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing that I saw. I didn't like the field. So when he called me one day, in 2013 to say, would you be interested, Rhonda, and stop saying no to me, would you be interested in, in joining our diplomatic corps? I was so busy. I said, well, I, I don't know. I don't speak a foreign language. He said, well, would you at least send me your, your resume? And I said, okay, I will. And then I promptly forgot. He called me with the foreign minister and he said, would you be interested in being our representative at the United Nations. And well, I, I thought that that was like a joke, you know? <laughs> so I said, um, what? And in fact, the foreign minister who was at the time a medical doctor, but turned politician was my chemistry teacher. And I was considered a good chemistry student. So he knew me for a long time and I wanted them to tell me why they thought I can do this. I said, because I don't have the background. And he said, because you are a good strategic and conceptual thinker. One thing Ambassador King wrote in her book was how she felt that society undervalues single and childless women. Now, more than 15 years later, she is surrounded by strong and career-oriented women at the UN, and her mindset has shifted. Still, she believes that UN headquarters could do more for all women, mothers included. Back then, I was 42, 43 years old. It spoke of my angst at a particular time. And I noticed my young colleagues are saying the same thing, that they are having to pick up the slack of their married. And, and I think what it does speak to today is the need for better support for women with children. You know, at the time I felt dumped on as the single one, but now I would never write that again without actually recognizing the importance for the workplace to accommodate these needs. Because if they aren't, others have to take up the slack. Because a place like the UN does not have accommodation for children. 
children are not welcome in the meetings. And I was very grateful to the New Zealand Prime Minister who brought her baby. And I remembered um, last year, she, we shared the back room when she was changing her baby's diaper. And my prime minister was in line for the next statement with her. And it was lovely. But where you see the disparity in the way women are treated is that women are not heard. It doesn't register until the male counterpart expresses that opinion. But I have found over time, in over the seven years, I've seen a difference. I think women are here to stay increasingly. We are now 50 female diplomats, but it's improving. St. Vincent and the Grenadines mission to the UN is also unconventional. A majority of its staff, 75%, are women, and so are its top leaders. We have tipped the scale because we don't have gender equity. There's no gender parity there because we are mostly female. So we are an anomaly. Many people have lots of women, but they are the secretaries. They are the younger diplomats, but our young diplomats are also female. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 